And welcome back to this bonus episode of Independent Thought. I am still your host, Desmond Price, and we are still joined by Daniel Wilson, running for Congress out of Ventura County in California, as we kind of explained in the previous episode, so we won't go through the redistricting process again. But Daniel, thank you for sticking with us to do this bonus episode, getting a few more questions out there. Didn't get to ask you every question I wanted to ask you on the actual episode itself. We're trying to keep it I think right around an hour. So we had to cut a few things out, but we're going to ask those questions now. And so I think one of the things that I forgot to ask you in the first part of the episode is why Congress and not like a different positions, like why specifically Congress? Sure. That's actually a question I get asked uh, quite a bit is either based off the fact that I haven't done anything else politically or just, you know, why that over anything else just in general, um, they said it's a pretty big fish to jump at for my first go, and, and they're not wrong. This is definitely going to be the uh, hardest thing I've ever done in my life, but also uh, the most inspiring and rewarding. So I, I'm super excited. So there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, one, just personally and specifically to our district, our incumbent here just got reelected for the fifth time. She is what one might describe as a do-nothing Democrat. Um, as I described earlier, she votes along party lines every time, even to, so she styles herself as the veterans candidate. But she doesn't actually, she has done some good things and I will not knock her down for everything. And that's where definitely walking carefully, especially with people who do like her and think she's done pretty good so far. She's not the worst Democrat in office. There are definitely more corrupt ones that need to go. It is her ineffectiveness and her unwillingness to fight for us that really just made me realize that I needed to stand up and and fight for us because nobody else was going to come to it. She has been, you know, challenged every time. And the closest anybody's ever come was last cycle. She got challenged by a Republican in the most existential red versus blue race ever. It was the closest anybody's ever come, and it was still 135 to 208,000. That's with almost every, there's 145 registered, 145,000 registered Republicans in our district. All but 10,000 Republicans came out to vote in this race, and they still couldn't defeat this, this incumbent. But she's never been challenged from the left. She's never been challenged by a Medicare for all candidate. And that is the main thing that made me jump in the ring uh, to toss my hat in the ring against her is because she refuses to co-sponsor Medicare for all. She's had five different opportunities now. It's been introduced every time she's been sworn in. It's been reintroduced by Pramila Jayapal and Debbie Dingell and their people before them. And she absolutely refuses. And we had a legislative meeting with her in February And I even told her how, and somebody else asked the question for me because the Democrats were already too afraid to let me out of the, out of the gate um, and ask these pointed questions about, you know, you've, you've helped 8,000 veterans in our district and we thank you for that. But if you were fight for Medicare for all, you would save millions of veterans and their families nationwide from a lot of, a lot of trouble. Um, And I worded it a little bit better than that. And uh, her response, 
response was, well, that's the opinion of one veteran. Ouch. How demeaning. So are we, you're crushed as you keep, you know, saying that you're, we are what you're fighting for and that's how you keep getting reelected to Congress is because you're the veterans congressperson or does, does what we need not actually matter to you? Is it just when are we just there for your convenience? And so I realized that um, specifically it had to be a veteran to challenge her because anybody else that was going to come at her, no matter what their policies are, no matter how good they are, even if they've got a D by their name, if you're going against a candidate who fights supposedly for veterans, then you're going to be smeared as anti-patriotic, you know, anti-patriotic against our troops, against our veterans. And, but they can't do that to a veteran. They can't say that I'm, I'm not patriotic and they can't say that I'm against our troops or that I'm against our veterans because I am one. And so I think it is going to take a specifically left Medicare for all fighting for the people veteran to unseat this candidate and this congressperson. And then I, I'm, I'm gonna, if, I, if I'm lucky enough to serve this district for one term, two terms, three terms, I will then pass it off at, at whatever time the community decides it's my time to go. And, and then somebody else can take, to, can take the seat and it won't have to be the challenging and an incumbent. Um, and then there's a whole thing that we should get into with term issues, term limits as well. But the, and then to answer, so that's what made me think here specifically why I have to go Congress instead of some of our more local offices. Second to that is there is a misconception that, you know, federal office has nothing to do with local races and local politics. And that's absolutely not true. If we had a Medicare for all candidate right here in our district, while we're fighting for CalCare, that person would show up and use their power to get the press there, their power of the pulpit, and their power of their, their, their inherent audience that they can conjure up at any moment in time because they are a sitting congressperson. They use that power and privilege to bring an audience and bring awareness to issues, and instead, they're silent. And so what I would do as a congressional representative that is fighting for Medicare for all, I would come home and our local representatives, our local state assembly member, Jackie Irwin, who is not for CalCare, she is not for healthcare. Our local state senator also keeps, she won't say she's not for healthcare, CalCare, but she keeps put, putting out this legislation that we should support instead. So indeed, you're saying you don't support this and your refusal to say in words that you will support this is enough of an answer to tell us that you don't support this. So we have our local city um, state assembly member, our local state senator, and our local supervisors that only one person on the board of supervisors thus far has accepted an invitation from us. Thank you very much, Carmen Ramirez, Supervisor Ramirez, for coming out and supporting us at our local CalCare event. So one out of five supervisors in our local district supports CalCare. Um, and so the congressional representative can come home and stand in our state senator's office and stand in our assembly member's office with the community that they bring with them because that is what we need to be doing is agitating in the streets as well as voting. And that's how we take federal congressional power and privilege and turn that around and affect local change. Okay. And, you know, I think that kind of like naturally kind of like ties into the next question that I have for you. I saw that another one of the pillars on your platform was justice for all. Can you explain to me what exactly that means and why this is so important to you that you had to make it like one of the pillars of your platform? 
Absolutely. I think that it being in our constitution and in, in a lot of our federal documents and verbiage as far as our Pledge of Allegiance and all of these things, we have never yet achieved it. And it's, it's an absolute travesty that 250 years after these promises were made, um, we continued to have slavery and then that devolved into the Jim Crow South and segregation. And I would truly argue that segregation never ended. It just shifted and went more covert and underground to where like redlining and discriminatory banking and the significant and tangible differences in our education systems Within a, within a 15 minute drive, we have completely different school buildings, we have completely different resources, we have completely different levels of education provided to children. And like we touched upon earlier, and children should not have like school lunch debt, the children should not be punished or uh, provided less opportunities because of their parents' financial status. Like that is absolutely unacceptable that children are left to suffer and receive less than because their parent just couldn't get a better job because they didn't get a good education or have the right opportunity to write resources. Because again, it's not all about education as we touched on earlier as well. Um, and so um, it is extremely important that, um, so yeah, so segregation still exists. It's just in a different way. And we still accept separate but equal. We know these schools are different and everybody's okay with it. Even within my own county, there's extreme discrepancies in our education levels. And people actually move into different places and spend more money than they can afford usually for a house so that they can put their kid in a better school. And so these communities then lose economic, they lose a lot of different things. And then the banks leave and the hospitals leave. And so then these communities are left destitute because and they, they can never get a better education because it's based off property taxes and things. And so we still have a lot of baked in injustice in our system from our education to how much groceries cost in different places to um, something that has really started to upset me. And what I've focused on when I go into a grocery store is I've started turning around and looking and see what they have locked up. Mm. Typically, it's formula, diapers, medicine. Sometimes there's alcohol. Even with that, that is a level that people are pushed to through their poverty and to try and numb their pain and just get through another day. And so you can really see, uh, I've noticed what a com community is suffering from and what it needs and what it's lacking by the things that the grocery store has to lock up because people are pushed to such extremes that they have to steal it. And when it's food and formula and diapers, it's just it's a choice. It's a choice that we make to allow these things to happen. Um, these are political choices. And so um, justice for all goes from the cost of groceries, the levels of education that people are allowed to achieve and receive, and all the way to job opportunities, um, housing. Um, I think actually this is something that really isn't touched upon in injustice at, at often enough or at, at all really is postal banking and or public banking would um, absolutely change so much about so many people's lives. Um, I watched a TED talk on it. The TED talk was about three years ago, but this woman brought up this, this point, it just burned into my head that 
Um, so when, like I was talking about, when economics, when residents, when the community starts to falter, jobs leave, hospitals leave, things like that. Banks leave as well because there's no longer money to be made. People aren't investing. They are barely getting by. Another thing is we absolutely need to abolish fees and overdraft fees and penalties like that. Why are we charging people for money that don't have money? Like, Preach. What? Oh, um, so, um, so banking, economic institutions and economic opportunities that people have. And so this woman touched upon a fact that in local communities, especially when there aren't these community banks and especially for immigrants who are here on visas and other things, they don't have, they, a lot of banks won't work with them and won't serve them. And so they can't get a bank account. They can't get direct deposit. And so they still get a paper check. They don't have a bank account. So what do they do? They go to payday lenders, check cashing places. So they end up spending 10% of their income just to get the money that they worked to be paid. That 10% is also equivalent to what a bare a family of four, two parents and two kids would need to spend on groceries just barely to survive. So they're spending exactly what they need to feed their family just to get access to the money they already worked to to, to get. And so, you know, these, these communities that, and you know, this, this all ties together, loss of education, loss of jobs, loss of opportunities, everything goes down the tube, even to where you no longer have the access to get a bank, then you can't get a home, you have no generational wealth to pass on to your children. So this injustice is baked into our system at every level. And so we need to rethink everything here in California. Another issue that I want to specifically say is we need to abolish ICE. Why do we have so many departments to police our immigration system and process? Conservatives say they're against big government. Why are you okay with having five different agencies to patrol our borders? We've got the National Guard, we've got Border Patrol, we've got ICE, we've got the Department of Homeland Security. Why do we have, why do we need so many agencies? And then not only with just ICE existing as an institution, but then our police here locally were deputized as ICE agents. And so we have horror stories of children being followed home from school. And then once their parent is at the door, they are taken and they are deported. And there have been, there are checkpoints that get set up and they look like DUI checkpoints, but when you drive by, all you see is brown people sitting there. And I, to the point where, so my, my wife is an immigrant. She has been naturalized. She was born in Mexico. Um, so she is a now a naturalized citizen. But even with that, we again hear horror stories of people that are citizens being deported because they didn't have their paperwork on them or because they just weren't believed and they assumed it was a forgery. And so they end up in Mexico with no money, no phone, no resources. Sometimes people are actually deported to countries that they've never even been from. It would be one thing when my wife would be deported to Mexico because she was from there, that still would be terrible. But imagine if you're Puerto Rican or Cuban or another Guatemalan, Panamanian, any, any, any other thing that is just brown because these people are racist and they just pick you up based off the color of your skin and will ship you wherever they think that, that they, wherever they want to. Um, so we absolutely need to abolish ICE. We need to look into folding the other institutions if we do need them. If they are filling gaps in our system, which is messed up and needs to be absolutely restructured is our immigration system. Um, then they, they need to, if they do cover different gaps and, and then they need to be swallowed into one entity so they have equal funding so that we're not double. Cause there again, there's a lot of wasted resources in having these multiple agencies when one with maybe just more personnel could do what they needed to do. And we don't need to have five with all these different levels overhead, managerial buildings, all these different things. 
Um, also with that, justice for all is not only domestic, but we need to look at our international policies. And I'm so tired of this interventionist, imperialist garbage. We are not the world's police. We are absolutely not the world's police. And I was absolutely devastated when a refugee who has worked her way up to be an American Congresswoman turned around and said it said that we needed to go into China to deal what, with what was going on with the Uyghur Muslims. Absolutely what is happening there is an absolute travesty. We aren't the world's police, it's not our job. What we need to do is then go to NATO, then go to the UN, and we need to have talks with the World's Council and have the body that is supposed to be neutral and not powered by one country or one organization go in and deal with the human rights abuses. We absolutely need to address human rights violations and abuses in other countries, especially ones that we trade with and ones that we allow our corporations to, to transplant our jobs overseas to. I actually have a really interesting idea that we need to hold all corporations. If you want to have a warehouse or a factory in China, in India, in Russia, and other places where you take advantage of their them not having human rights policies and jobs protections, you have to abide by American law. You have to uphold American workers' rights and, and um, civil rights that you would to an American resident. That is what you will be responsible for overseas if you are going to be seen as an American corporation and continue to do business in America your overseas warehouses need to meet the same human rights standards. And if they can't do that, then they're gonna have to put their jobs back here. I, th I think that if they had to pay people in other countries a living wage that we, we mandate they, them pay here, they'd be less quick to move their entire operation overseas. Okay, that is, that is a definitely a breadth of different ideas for your justice for all uh, platform. And I do appreciate you taking the time to share that with us. We're gonna take a quick yeah. break. And we'll be right back with some more questions with Daniel. Stay tuned. Hey, Indie Thought listeners. Has this past year helped you rediscover your creative and crafty side? Well, then you're going to love our sponsor for today's episode. Bathing Beauties Beads is a full-service bead shop in the heart of downtown Missoula. Whether it's seed beads, semi-precious stones, vintage beads, or just materials to make a project, they have something for every person and every price range. Not from Missoula? Don't worry. They have an extensive online store and they will ship directly to you. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, they'll welcome you and help you make your next project a reality. You can find them online at Bathing Beauties Beads on Instagram and Facebook or at bathingbeautiesbeads.com. And don't forget to use offer code INDEPENDENTTHOUGHT at checkout to save 15% on your order. Betty's Divine is a locally owned boutique on the magnificent hip strip in downtown Missoula, Montana that has been a fixture in the Mountain West since 2005. We have a fondness for vintage inspired clothing, shoes and accessories for humans, as well as the real deal found in our vintage department, Divine Trash. Betty's Divine presents a snapshot of Northwest styles with an emphasis on street, skate, surf, and rock and roll culture, as well as Americana classics. Alongside a radical selection of clothing, Betty's Divine offers a damn fine array of shoes, jewelry, records, and accessories to satisfy any taste, whatever your age or vibe. You can count on us to prioritize financial, social, and environmental responsibility without sacrificing the look. 
Visitors enjoy a lovely atmosphere, dreamy tunes, and the best customer service in the West. And you can shop us online at bettysdivine.com. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us through this bonus episode. And now I kind of want to transition to some of these bills that you said that you would vote for. So I noticed that on your website, and if you are interested, you know, please follow along. Dana, can you just give us your website one more time? I don't have it memorized. Absolutely. So uh, the website is votefordaniel.com. That's vote, F-O-R, Daniel.com. So I'm looking at the website right now, and at the very bottom of your main page here, you have a list of bills that you would vote for today if you were elected. So I want to ask you about one specifically, because it is something that I've heard, you know, not really anywhere in mainstream media, but I've heard it several times referenced in more, I guess, like independent media, especially on YouTube, the PRO Act. This is something that, you know, was, you know, brought up in the house. It doesn't seem like it's really gotten any real traction, uh, unfortunately, but I know that a lot of people, especially these more independent, you know, like YouTube, you know, commentators have been very, uh, just very backing of it. Could you just explain a little bit what exactly the PRO Act is and why you support it? Absolutely. So the PRO Act is absolutely something that needs to be passed. It's a very important piece of legislation that has workers' rights and protections in it. Um, it sets bargaining and different um, negotiation rights and uh, protections for the workers, the unions, um, as well as uh, separating the enforcement um, rights and paths that workers have if they are violated. Um, but what's and what I'd like to discuss is what's interesting is that a lot of people are talking about that it doesn't include protections for farm and domestic workers. And again, with my local community here being a huge agricultural community, as well as that there's a huge domestic and service sector, and a lot of them being um, immigrants, both documented and otherwise, um, that keep our society running. And I think that if anybody had any doubt, and I cannot believe that this is still a discussion in 2021 after what we saw with the pandemic last year and how these people absolutely kept us alive and continued to work, putting themselves at risk to keep us fed, to keep our, and our, just our systems running with the buses, with everything. These people work in a variety of places and industries that are responsible for our, or that are responsible for the upkeep of our very country. And if we lose them, we lose everything. And they're still in this massive, hugely important piece of legislation, the Protect the Right to Organize Act, so that people are no longer penalized and punished for speaking out against workplace violations and abuses from their employers. We are still not including agricultural and domestic workers. And it's a choice. All of these things are political choices. It was a choice to not specifically include language that would protect these people. And I personally, and based off of my research and experience, believe that it is so that they can bring in the more moderate and conservative, both politically and corporate aligned people, because there are some people that don't feel that undocumented or even documented immigrants deserve the same worker protections. And that's where I go back to segregation still absolutely exists in this country. 
why is it okay for them to not receive the same benefits and protections under their working environment as I would have as a born citizen here? Where you were born does not mean, it, no matter where you were born, you do not deserve less than the same protections as a person you are working beside, no matter your race, sex, gender, ethnicity, where you were born, any type of status that you adhere to should not determine your protections under our laws where you are living, working, paying your taxes and contributing to our society. I, yes, yes. Thank you for saying that. I mean, that is definitely something that I mean, I, I've talked about this several times in my podcast, you know, in the last two seasons, whether I was talking about, you know, factories, workers, you know, at like Nabisco or Frito-Lay, you know, what coal yes. miners were experiencing, you know, who worked for Warrior Met, what Amazon workers were experiencing all over this country. The PRO Act would help so many of those people, but you know what? It is a blind spot. I did not even think that, you know, agricultural workers are left out of this. So thank you for pointing that out and for rep for trying to represent them. That is very important. And I'm glad that someone is trying to do that, speaking up for these people. You know, it's interesting that you brought up the, the fact that the bill was altered to make it more palatable to moderates or Republicans. I, this is kind of, I think one of the last questions I want to ask you about, you know, kind of goes again to the episode uh, question that I asked you at the end of the original episode, which was, you know, kind of how do you get people to believe in government again? You said that you were kind of raised by Republicans. And so you are able to, <laughs> yeah. I guess, like discuss, you know, issues with them a little more effectively. We are seeing right now that there is, you know, like kind of like a, this, this framing of bipartisanship that the Democrats claim to be wanting to do right now. But, you know, like, forget it. Let's, I'm not going to get into the weeds of, you know, how that might be essentially like used to, you know, not get things done, but let me just focus rather on something else, you know, in our society, when we're trying to find ways to kind of, you know, bridge the gaps of the misconceptions about the things that we all need, especially when you're talking to people who are on the other side, how exactly do you talk to people who feel differently than you about issues and kind of find some common ground? Absolutely. That is a very important question and something that I have been in struggling with. Really quick, I just want to say that the, the distinction in that legislation missing that, I need to absolutely give credit to somebody else, one of my supporters and a very powerful activist here who is on the ground fighting for this PRO Act. She's dialing every day to get this passed. Her name is Leah and she is absolutely amazing. So she actually brought that to my attention as a problem with the piece of legislation. Just want to give full credit to where credit is due. Um, so she brought that to my attention and um, so definitely um, championing it now uh, with the pulpit that I've been uh, given as running profits. Um, so then to, to your question, um, so I absolutely was raised by Republicans. I was raised by, I would have considered my mom probably more of a, of a, a liberalist Democrat, even though I didn't know those terms then, I would have considered her more of a liberalist Democrat before she married my father, um, who now I 100% consider him my father, but he's my stepfather. So they got married when I was 12. So that was a huge change going just from me and a single mom, that's just us for my whole life. And then I got, uh, she married a cop that actually stuck by the rules and brought kids with him. And so I just, my whole life got turned upside down. Um, and so I think that that's really where she became a little bit more conservative, absolutely. Um, and to the point where 
they voted for Trump in 2016. Full disclosure, my both of my parents voted for Trump in 2016. I am very proud to say that they did not in 2020. Um, and I would like to think that I had something to do with that. And I've got to say that um, having conversations with people who are dug into their corners for whatever reason, and we have become so hyper-reactionary as we discussed earlier in the episode, um, it's hard, it's hard. And we have definitely had some family blowouts. So whether it's a stranger or whether it's somebody that you've known your whole life, these conversations are very hard. And um, even, even to this day, I don't always do it perfectly, but what I try and do is just approach them as a person. And I think that, like I said, my, when I de declare myself as like a nonpartisan or as, as being neither a Democrat or a Republican and seeing the parties as a, as a problem or what divides us and, hey, let's, let's talk about these issues we really find that there's so much, and this, I hate this cliche, but there's so much more that unites us than, than, than separates us and that divides right. us. The dividing line is a myth that the people in charge, the elite, the corporatocracy, whatever we want to call them, the people that dictate our fate and our lives um, want us to keep fighting because they do not, because they know that when we unite and when we come together, that we will move mountains and we will change the system that has allowed them to exploit us. And so if we can kind of, it really takes taking a step back and trying to remove our own pride and our own arrogance and our own assumption and belief that we are right and being willing to be wrong and hear somebody out um, I've had a really great interaction with a gentleman. He calls his podcast Uncommon Conversations. Sorry to do a little plug, but he's somebody that's definitely on the other side of the aisle. And he, he said something really great when we talked last. He said he, would, he, he voted for Bernie in the primary and where a lot of us went left, he took a hard right. And he's not alone. There's a lot of people that if it would have been Bernie and Trump in 2016, they would have voted for Bernie instead of Trump. They could not swallow the Democratic Party under uh, and, and voted for Clinton. And when he was taken down, that also doubled down their, their belief in the corruption and the, the capture of the Democratic Party by the corporate elites. Even though the Republicans are just as captured, they saw that blatant theft of a primary. They saw the blatant corruption and the blatant hypocrisy that was going on. And they turned around and they went to Trump, who told them that he was going to do something for them. He was going to fight for them. And so these aren't terrible people. They're um, the Republicans, conservative, left. All of us are just people. We're just trying to survive. We're just trying to do what's best for our families. And if we engage in these conversations from that level and from that mindset that, hey, there's probably more that you and I can agree on, then when we do disagree, when we do it with love and respect, the conversation goes so differently than you would ever expect. And you begin to hear each other out. And that's where the true collaboration and community comes together and, and makes changes is when, when we hear each other out and realize that they want us to fight amongst ourselves so that we don't turn around and fight them. Because when we do, we win. And that's going on right now with voting rights. If voting, everybody out there who is disheartened, who feels politically homeless, who is fed up and frustrated with our electoral politics, I beg you to please not give up to not withdraw because that is exactly what they want. If our vote didn't matter, if our vote didn't have the power to make the changes that we want to see, there would not be over a hundred bills in legislation 
across the country right now trying to stop us from voting. They are terrified of our power because they know that we will change it and we are coming for them. Please vote in every election that you possibly can all the way to the back of the ballot because your water board and your public works people are deciding what parks get fixed and how clean your water is and they are affecting your lives. Please vote, it is everything. Very passionate. I definitely appreciate that. You know, there is, there is a lack of political accountability anymore. And so, and I, I think that kind of like is due in large part to the fact that so many people have become just discontent with what goes on in politics. And so for you to come in, and I guess it seems like one of the reoccurring things of what you're interested in doing is to just work for the people. I think that'll truly resonate with more and more people as you continue to go on with your campaign. So I wish you the best of luck. And as we're closing out this episode, I want to just give you one more chance to kind of plug yourself. So just let everyone know where they can find you online if they want to be more interested, if they want to get more engaged with your campaign or if they're interested in it, where can they find you at? Absolutely. Uh, thank you uh, again for this opportunity. I have really appreciated this, this conversation and this time with you and what you are doing for candidates like myself, who are probably never going to see mainstream media and get mainstream interviews or any type of, of the press coverage that the incumbency will get. Um, so thank you very much for giving, giving us, uh, us fighters, a, a chance and, and a voice to speak to the people. Um, anybody who is interested, and if you liked what you hear, please give us a, a follow and a like. Um, go to votefordaniel.com to subscribe to our newsletter and to stay up with events. That is votefordaniel.com. And then both my Instagram and my Twitter handles are danielforvc, as in Ventura County, danielforvc at both Twitter and Instagram. Thank you all so much. Thank you, Desmond. Thank you so much. And I really do appreciate you coming on to the podcast, you know, not just once, but twice for this bonus episode It's very much appreciated. If anyone is interested in checking out those links, they will be in the description of this episode. So go ahead and click into the description and you shall see those links. Mm -hmm.